yeah, it's a good Wednesday song to get into uh, Masters chat. Uh, fan drive time, by the way. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Once the tournament gets underway proper, though, you got to come in with the CBS Masters music, which is, that really gets the juices flowing. Uh, apologies to Tom Hoagie. Will not be winning this year's Masters as he has won the par three tournament, six under par. Close call, though, for Adam Svensson, Canada's own. He was only three back, tied for seventh. All right, let's talk to Alan Shipnuck of the Fire Pit Collective, author of Phil, The Rip Roaring, an unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. Alan, how's it going? Thanks for doing this. Uh, happy to be here, boys. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the conversation always around at least this year's uh, Masters is um, what is the relationship between the Live players and the PGA Tour players? And we haven't heard of any incidents of, of like, uh, I don't know, fist fights, food fights, any of that nature. Like, what's it been like on the grounds at Augusta National between those two, those two factions? Disappointingly relaxed. Bummer. I mean, um, the... You, you know, they basically force you by gunpoint to be genteel and, and civil here at the Masters every year. It's this rigidly enforced um, Southern hospitality. And so I think the, um, the players, out of deference for the tournament and, you know, certainly at the past Champions Dinner last night, out of respect for Scotty Scheffler and the host Ben Crenshaw, Nobody wants to be the guy who, like, makes a scene, you know. It's kind of like when you go to a company party. You you don't want to be the one they're talking about the next day. And so everything's been below the surface. I mean, there's still some animosity. There's still some awkwardness. But the players are trying to play nice with each other. And so I I think, you know, it's always going to just be a Monday through Wednesday story. Once once Thursday comes and guys are trying to win the Masters, that stuff will fall away. And seems like we've made it through the, the first half of the week without any bitchiness or any, any controversy. So I, I, think, I think it's going to be a, non, a non-issue at this Masters. Well, one of the non-issues that, I don't know, at least maybe got treated like an issue on social was Phil Mickelson kind of just avoiding all of it altogether. What's the reaction to Phil being back been so far? I mean, Phil was always Augusta's favorite son. You know, he was the heir to Arnold Palmer around here. And Tiger may have been revered, but but Phil was beloved. And uh, you can, there's still an element of that. I mean, people are cheering for him, and but it seems a little muted. I think Phil just inspires some conflicted feelings among golf fans. And um, I haven't heard any stray barbs, uh, n- nothing impolite, but. It just sends that the roars are not loud and the um, enthusiasm is not quite what it was. But that said, if you shoot 67 on Thursday, the crowd will be behind him because everyone loves a comeback story and he does have a lot of history here. So I think think his relationship with the fans has been um, damaged but not beyond repair. Uh, So if if he can somehow will himself into contention, uh, I, I really think he'll get noisy here. Yeah, and he is golf's most colorful superstar, at least used to be, Alan. Like, he he declined the opportunity to to speak uh, prior to the tournament. It was only Cam Smith, I believe, of the live golfers who did one of those media availabilities. Apparently, at the Champions Dinner, it was, like, all to himself and all quiet. Like, I I, I guess it's hard to to answer, uh, like, what is Phil's personality like right now if he's not giving anybody anything. But that, that, I mean, it does feel like he's he's gone through it uh, over the last year or so. Uh, since the obviously huge um, pull quotes from your book. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it even predates that. I mean, he was he had burned a lot of bridges with the tour and with other players before it even went public. And it's been it's been messy for sure. There's no question. I mean, Phil has has brought a lot of bad energy onto himself. Um, you know, him supposedly turning down the interview. I mean, I'm sure the the, the Lords of Augusta went to the, went to him and said, you know, Phil, we'd prefer if you did not do this press conference. <laughs> But it's up to you. You know, they have their way of, of of influencing things here, but yet still having you know plausible deniability. So I don't know exactly if uh, how how much Phil did or did not want to be part of, of the press conference. But he, he did skip it. That's notable because he's such a showman. He's always loved to get up on that stage and, and crack wise and banter. And that's just been part of his shtick. So um, the fact that he... He wasn't up there. was was an omission for sure. Yeah, I, and honestly, it, it's it's a bummer that there's there's no you know throwing of teas at that the live guys uh, by the the PGA Tour guys, but not unexpected that there's no animosity at least visibly between those two guys because or b- between those two groups of guys because it is Augusto. What I think the the actual biggest question is is. What will the performance be like for the live guys who some of them are in the prime of their careers still, right, but are not playing PGA Tour events. They're playing um, no-cut events with only three rounds and, and, uh, and uh, I would say, uh, different styles of, of galleries, uh, which, I mean, from what I've seen, very um, limited galleries. Like, wh- wh- what are you expecting performance-wise from, like, the Cam Smiths or the, the Brooks Kepka who won a, a live event just recently? I, th- I think they'll bring it. You know, these guys know that they're sort of playing for their professional reputation and there's a lot at stake for them. It- it'll be a wild overreaction. I mean, one tournament is a very small sample size. Um, and, if you know, if every live guy misses the cut, I still think it'd be premature to say that they- they've lost their competitive fire and they're, they're, they've lost their edge. Like, maybe at the end of this year when they've all played four majors, we can look back on it w- with a little more clarity. But... Um, I, I think that those these guys are going to play well because they they've been hearing all this stuff. It's been the number one talking point for the tour. You know, we're real competition, and those guys sold out. They don't care anymore, and uh, it's just an exhibition. No one's trying. I mean, I've been to live events. I mean, guys are at the range till dark. I mean, I saw I watched Phil on the putting green for like three hours in Tucson. Like they're still chasing it. Like from what I can tell, guys are still trying hard, and they know how to prepare. They know how to bring out their best. Um, I think they'll perform well, and frankly, I hope they do because it'll they'll kind of retire that talking point, which is getting a little tedious. I mean, you know, so much talk about oh, they have guaranteed money; they don't care anymore. But who's your favorite athlete in team sports? He has guaranteed money, whether yeah. it's Steph Curry or Patrick Mahomes or these guys are making fifty to hundred million dollars a year on and off the you know the field or the court. They're still trying really hard. I mean, if you're if you like to win and you're a competitor and like you're a killer at heart. Um, the money is there either way. I, I think that you, you still want to win. I mean, you see that across all the team sports. So the fact that, that golfers are now have some guaranteed money, I don't think that disqualifies them from trying or from caring. So that seems a little silly to me. So I would, um, again, if, if the live guys come strong this week, I for that talking point. Yeah, and uh, and you know, there's still like like I said, some guys very much in their prime, including Brooks Kepka uh, and Cam Smith. I, I mean, there's the pressure on the live guys to erase that talking point for sure. There's also the pressure on them, Allen, to keep playing at Augusta 
they need to keep performing at these majors that they're allowed to still participate in because they don't get world golf ranking points for playing on the live tour like how much of an element of their performance is that 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 hey listen you you end up in a in a top 10 spot you secure your spot in the masters for for uh, for uh, upcoming master uh, tournaments and you know we we might not see some of these guys who haven't won before if they don't continue to perform at the majors yeah, yeah, the top 12 finishers get invited back next year, so that, that'll be on some people's minds. I mean, guys like Cam Smith and Dustin and Brooks, they have multi-year exemptions from other things they've won, but it, it does affect some guys on the margins, like a, a Kevin Na, Harold Varner. You know, if, if, they, if they can finish top 12, then, yeah, they've punched their ticket back to Augusta no matter what. Talking to people here, you know, the thing about the Masters Week is it's a gathering of all of golf's power brokers, and so you can – pick up a lot of intel under the tree and whatnot. And um, it's pretty clear there's going to be a resolution on the world ranking points issue in July. Mm. And um, I would honestly be surprised if the live guys don't get points for the, the very simple reason that the world ranking selfishly does not want to render itself obsolete. And if they keep excluding the live guys, it's just going to, someone's going to come up with a better ranking. And I mean, they already exist. If you go to like data golf, that's a website that really drills down. Like they have a ranking that incorporates live performance and um, the world ranking is not sacrosanct. I mean, it was just an algorithm that was dreamed up by an agent. So he get more appearance money for his clients. You know, that was Mark McCormick in the eighties and it's, it's been a gold standard, but it doesn't have to always be. And there's plenty of other ways that its major utility is to fill out the major championship fields. And, you know, if, if they exclude live guys, the majors are just going to find another way to, to, to get their players. Like the masters could say, okay, if you finish top 30, mm. you get in next year. You know, there's a million ways to fill out the field. They don't need the world ranking. I mean, the world ranking needs them more than the other way around. And so um, I think that the stewards of the world ranking know that. Mm. And so, I, you know, I think a lot of human behavior is, just comes down to uh, pure self-interest, and it's in the best interest of the world ranking to give points to the lip guys, and that's why I think it's going to happen. Uh, we've gone way too long in this interview without talking about Tiger Woods um, because he's the headline item uh, whenever he tees it up, especially at Augusta National. What, w- what was the biggest takeaway for you during his uh, media availability? Yeah, Tiger is finally going off a very outdated script you know he he's been saying his whole career like i won't show up at a tournament unless i know i can win second place sucks you know all those things um they made for great sound bites and it, it, at certain points in his life and career no doubt it was true but the, those days are gone i mean for tiger's say, i don't know how many masters i have this could be the last one i'm just trying to savor it and enjoy it like he, he hasn't really talked in those terms before I thought it was welcome and refreshing. I mean, it just puts him in touch with the reality of the situation and it helps tone down everyone else's expectations and it, it gives him some breathing room to just enjoy the experience of being out there between the ropes because, I mean, Tiger has destroyed his body over and over. His life is so messy. I mean, he literally had to trick his girlfriend into thinking she was taking a vacation, and then when she was gone, changed the lock. Like, that's how he broke up with his girlfriend, you know, a few months ago. Now she's suing him. Like, it's hard to play 
great golf when you don't have a clear mind. And there's just always so much messiness around Tiger, unfortunately. And so um, I think I think it was just a welcome, you, you know, kind of changing of the narrative. Like he really isn't he's embracing this ceremonial role, this, this elder statesman role. And um, on one hand, it's sad because you know so much of his, I mean, everything's self-induced with the car accident and all the scandals and the rehab and the addiction and all these things that have, that have blunted his career. But it's also like, okay, you know, Tiger's being real for the first time ever. And so I thought it was, I thought it was some kind of progress for him just, just to be honest about where he is in his life and his career. And I think that gives him some room to, to just enjoy the walk, enjoy the sun on his back, have the fans cheer for him. And, you know, he's still got some magic in his hands. He still has, He's still the greatest tactician golf has ever seen. So if he can, you know, maybe he can he can thrill us one more time. But mm-hmm. the chances of him four days in a row being able to get his body to work the right way, especially when it's going to get cold and rainy here, um, that's a huge ask. So, um, you know, my my expectations for Tiger are very realistic. Like, yeah, uh, he's just going to go out and play golf and add him up. And we'll see what happens. It's not that hard to make the cut. The Masters, you only have to beat about 30 guys, and um, and I, I think he could do that. But for him to, to contend, that's I think that that's kind of wishful thinking. Yeah, unless there's like an earthquake that like flattens out uh, Augusta National, right? Like, and then he doesn't have to go up and down all the hills. That that that, that would be a scenario. But I, I, I it not generally a uh, a an earthquake centric uh, location, uh, Augusta, Georgia. Alan, uh, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for this. Okay, you got it. Thanks. Alan Chipnuck of the Fire Pit Collective, author of Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. Again, used to be, I guess, because like we haven't heard much from Phil recently uh, and probably as a direct result of Alan's incredible reporting uh, in which Phil didn't realize he was on the record, but you're always on the record when you're talking to a reporter who's already told you he's writing a book about you. You're always on the record. This is not a... Look, if you're using an excuse that Cousin Greg tried to use in season one of Succession <laughs> to get out of something, I don't, maybe that was season two, I, I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, if you're the Cousin Greg in this scenario, you are wrong. Um, there is no off the record unless it's explicitly agreed to by both sides that something is off the record. Uh, this Masters report is brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley, so the Masters Champions dinner is Tuesday night, but if you're not a Masters Champion, I mean, the second best Champions dinner seems to be the one that Adam Stanley just attended uh, with a bunch of Mike Weir's closest pals. 20 years after he uh, won the uh, Masters in 2003, Adam Stanley covering the Masters for Sportsnet, uh, Sportsnet joins us now. How's it going, Adam? It's going pretty good. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, so so set the scene for that that Tuesday night dinner uh, in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. So obviously, this is the 20th anniversary of Mike Weir's big win uh, in 2003. One could argue that the only reason why we've got so many Canadians playing the Masters right now is because of Weir's big win 20 years ago. Uh, and I tried to find a unique angle to celebrate the the anniversary, and I had known that Mike's brother, Jim, has kind of spearheaded this uh, green jacket dinner, they call it, the last 
couple of years. Uh, and so it'd be kind of neat to go there and, and kind of see what that was all about. Cause they, they do it upright. They, they find their green jackets from Amazon or from Goodwill or wherever. Um, and they have a lot of fun doing it. So yeah, I went, went to this dinner last night. They've done it for 12 years, but have had 10 iterations of it. The two COVID years, they didn't have one. Um, yeah, we had like a four or five course dinner. Um, it's just all of Mike's boys from back home, uh, home being both Canada and Utah. Uh, they share highly inappropriate stories and have a bunch of laughs. And um, yeah, it was it was just really a really really cool moment. Uh, Mike usually shows up after the uh, the real champions dinner, regales everyone with stories. Last year, Tom Cochran came, played a bunch of tunes. Oh. Um, so it was uh, it's been a neat thing that they've had for for the last decade. And um, yeah, it was just one of those things where all these guys. You know, they, they just think, hey, this is Weirzy, and he did something pretty darn cool. Um, and now they have this big dinner with a bunch of wine and and, uh, and a chef and everything, and, and they celebrate him, which is neat. Yeah, that's cool. And when Mike shows up, he's, yeah, he's attended the real Champions Dinner, and then, you know, prior to that, had been on the on the range for seven hours, apparently. <laughs> this is a guy who has no chance to win. Like, no offense to Mike Weir, and I, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, uh, and, you know, we talked about him, you know, being on a leaderboard or making the cut um, and has played well on, on the Champions Tour, whatever it's called, PGA Tour Champions, um, recently. But seven hours on the range seems excessive, yeah. Adam. Yeah, that was, that was a very jarring announcement by uh, Mike's caddy, Ollie, last night to, to confirm how long he was out there for. Basically, the story, the reason why he was on the range for that long is because obviously on the Champions Tour, uh, they play much shorter golf courses. So Mike Weir's got four wedges in his bag. That dude does not need four wedges playing Augusta National. He needs probably three or four different hybrids and some longer clubs. So they ended up putting in work and absolutely grinding, trying to find which long clubs were going to work with his bag uh, for this particular week. So, you know, kudos to Mike. He's 52 years old. He's in amazing shape. He's won a bunch of times on the PGA Tour champions. Uh, but your point is well taken. He was out there <laughs> grinding for uh, for a whole day uh, to just hopefully, fingers crossed, make the cut. So if he wants to do it, go right ahead. But apparently today he was getting a lot of uh, physiotherapy treatment. So. Uh, I don't know how, how great a uh, an effort, that, that Monday effort, is going to actually be for him by the time we get to tomorrow's first tee time. Well, it'll be nice for us that tomorrow's first tee time, we can we can tune in on Mike Weir for a little bit and follow that until another Canadian reveals themselves as the Canadian to watch the rest of the tournament. Uh, who, in your opinion, Adam, is, is that going to be? Which of the Canadian players in the field uh, are you most encouraged by or, or confident in or curious about heading into this one i know i know connor's is uh always kind of a if he can putt guy um i guess that always keeps you in the conversation but keeps you from being ever too confident at any one point about him yeah i mean it's a it's a great question um you know even for the the casual sports listener of, of this program i mean pay attention to canadian golf right now i think this is an absolutely golden era uh, certainly on the women's side brooke henderson's doing her thing but on the men's side as well all these guys are, are firmly in their primes uh, and i do think that Corey is the one to watch i mean he's coming into the week uh, off of a ton of momentum having won the pga tours event last sunday uh, he's got three straight top 10 finishes at the masters the last couple of years one of only two guys to do that uh, and his game plan his coach told me uh two days ago, Corey's game plan for this week is to win this tournament. He's not coming in here to just try to get in the mix or, or, or have a solid finish or et cetera, et cetera. 
he's trying to win this thing. And, and you're right. You're 100% right. Last week when he won, Corey Connors putted average. I think he was like 40th in putting, and he won the tournament. He was yeah. also first in, in ball striking in all the categories. So, uh, you know, this golf course, second shot golf course, rewards the elite ball strikers like Corey Connors. Um, but your point's well taken about his putting. If he gets it going just average out here, he'll be in the mix. If he starts losing it a little bit, uh, it could be a long week, unfortunately. Yeah, um, and had to grind even on on the 18th hole uh, yeah. in his week uh, la- in his win last week in in San Antonio needed a, a two putt for the victory and th- that was uh, not exactly fait accompli. Had to make a four footer coming back <laughs> yeah. for the victory, Very but he nervous. made that. Uh, and I talked yeah. to him and he said, you know, maybe maybe that's a, that put some uh, some good uh, memories in your mind as you head into a, a pretty important golf tournament. But yeah, he's trying to become the first guy since Phil Mickelson in, in 06 to win back to back weeks, including the masters um is that is that a stat i mean at least it's happened right it's not like the par three thing where if you win the par three tournament there is no history of of guys winning that tournament and winning the masters and i guess there's got to be a first but um does that and also this is a guy in in Corey connors who had not had a top 10 finish until his victory in san antonio last week how do you feel about the momentum thing yeah yeah, I mean, of all of the guys to have won the week prior, I think Corey has a, a very good shot at winning again. I, I, it was truly shocking to see that Phil was the guy that did it last because Phil, you know, you just had Alan on, and, and Alan knows Phil better than anyone. But, um, you know, Phil is incredibly up and down and roller coaster and this, that, and the next thing. And, and for him to go from, you know, super high win to super high win again at, at a major is, is absolutely incredible. Because Corey is essentially the opposite. Corey never gets too high, never gets too low. He's very, very steady, both sort of on the golf course and and off the golf course, just kind of uh, goes about his business, plots along, and and that's why, you know, he's won just once and and his ball striking is so incredible and and he doesn't really do too many crazy things. So I I would not be surprised if Corey manages to put everything that happened last week, you know, in the rearview mirror, coming to this event, knows he plays well here, knows he's got a good game plan uh, and can can try to capitalize on that momentum. I think, you know, quickly as well about the confidence. Uh, Corey told me the other day, he's never been more confident in his game. I think you're absolutely right. He hadn't had a top 10 since the win, but a lot of little things were working well up until that win. And then all of a sudden the big things were working well too. So Corey's got the confidence. He's got the momentum. uh, He's got the game plan. You know, I, I think this could be a pretty darn big week for, for Corey Connors. Uh, before I let go, 13 is now a, a much bigger hole. Like they, they, they pushed yeah. the tee uh, box back by what, like 30 yards or something, which, you know, I, I saw some talk that maybe even Dustin Johnson's going to turn that into a three shot hole, which would be, yeah, that would be a, a little bit mind bending. And I know uh, last year, what they, they moved 15 back a little yep. bit. Um, and, and maybe the changes with the ball will, 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 you know, change the way that golf course plays even more in subsequent years. But, yeah, how much of an impact do you think that will be, 30 extra yards on on the end of Amen Corner? Yeah, a, a big one. I think because um, <laughs> I can't believe they spent $20 million on, like, 40 yards worth of property. But I can. That's national. Kudos, kudos to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think what they've done is on the scorecard, the, the final number of the hole isn't all that big. I think it's, you know, 545, 550, whatever it may be. Um, but they've eliminated the angle. So that's really why someone who's as long as Dustin Johnson is saying, like, this is probably going to be a three shot hole for me because he's got to you know, kind of bunt it out there. He can't take that angle off anymore. Uh, and then he's going to have a pretty long club in into the green. Now, 
if it's Sunday and somebody's down by two shots and sees that their playing partner uh, is going to is going to lay up and, and try to just make a birdie that way, that's where all of a sudden the um, the question comes into play. Like, do I try to take this on? So um, I don't know how much of an impact the the length is going to have for rounds one and two. But by the time we get to the weekend and, and guys need to make a move and they're running out of holes by the time they get there, um, you know, we could see some pretty, pretty aggressive decisions have to be made. Um, and I think that's just going to keep adding to the drama that is the back nine at Augusta National. Adam, that's a fascinating story to watch Saturday and Sunday with the pairings. Um, one thing I'm curious as to your take on, I, I know we touched on Tiger uh, a moment ago, but tomorrow he's going to tee off with Victor Hovland and uh, Xander Shoffley. Uh, I'm curious with a, a guy like Shoffley, who's, you know, in the top 10, maybe even top five in terms of, how much people seem to like his chances in this tournament the extra eyeballs that come with teeing off with tiger can that be a positive for a guy a negative for a guy is that personality to personality what do you make of how that changes uh the early part of this tournament for shoffley yeah i think i think it's a little personality to personality i mean Xander's probably the the guy who's the best player to not have won a major up to this point and, and certainly having to play uh, two rounds with tiger woods at the place that everybody knows tiger woods and wants to see him and uh, there's going to be a lot of shuffling and and you know et cetera et cetera right it, there's going to be a lot and, and xander's going to have to deal with that and and i think it's going to impact him um it's going to impact him the same with victor there's no denying that basically everyone on the property is going to want to try to catch a glimpse of tiger woods and by default they're not really going to care about the other two guys so um even though there's not going to be all that many eyeballs directly on them there's going to be a lot of people around and i think all of a sudden the golf course becomes kind of this living breathing entity and and it's and it's, it's a lot it's hard for those guys to handle it for sure all right, last one, um, and you're the guy to ask because you've played Augusta National. If people don't know, Adam won. The, there's a lottery at the end of the Masters, and some media members get to play Augusta National on the Monday. Adam won and then made a birdie on 12. So you're, like, honestly, maybe the worst guy to ask because you, you actually – I've never played with you, but it sounds like you have game. But you could sh- just ask him if you if he wants to play with you, Ben. I know that's part, that's well, part, that's B part of, of where it, this yeah. question is going. Can, can you, can you it, it, take me someplace cool? Uh, no, Shane can Ryan. Like TPC Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Uh, Shane Ryan on Twitter – tweeted this hypothetical out which i absolutely loved if if everything's the same in in the masters you're playing at real crowds against the real field but you tee off on every hole from 100 yards out so on a par five you hit the green you're putting for albatross par four is eagle can you win the green jacket all right i i I said no because the greens would be outrageous and i would you know i'd be like eight putting some of those things you 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 put it on the greens and yeah. it sounds like you're a superior golfer to me. Could you win the Masters teeing off at 100 yards out on every hole? No. Number 12 was the only green I one-putted all day. The, my caddy at one point had to physically move me because I was aimed not <laughs> far away enough. On, on I think it was like three or something like that. So, yeah, no chance. Um, second shot golf course, even if you got a wedge in your hand the whole time, uh, it's just it's too darn hard to be able to do that. Um, and and in, like I said, it, it's the greens that really make the difference, the, the greens that make people think. Um, and the entire challenge for this golf course, it really lies from 100 yards and in. So there is not a chance, not a chance that I could win the Masters from 100 yards and in every hole. Dude, I don't know if I could, yeah, like shoot 80 from 100 yards and in on, <laughs> on Augusta National. We have to lay, lay up a few times from 100 uh, yards and in and just you've made. punt it along. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, always great to chat. Uh, enjoy the week. Thanks for doing this. Great work. No worries. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Adam Stanley. And this Masters report is brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley.
Have you ever played golf? Like, what, what is your golf experience? What? Why, of course I've played golf. Why is that? An, of course. I mean, what? It's an outrageous question to ask if you've played golf? Yeah, I think so. Why? Well, I'm, you don't think there's a lot of people that haven't played golf before? If you're not into golf, like you you're don't not think a golf, it would have come up by now in our working relationship and friendship. Like you guys always talk about golf around the office. That I just like, yeah, I've never done it. I don't know. Well, I mean, you you don't weigh in on the golf conversation. So I, what, I'm, what I'm is, not what, a big golf fan. Uh, but I, when I was in grade eight and nine, I had a membership. When I was in, oh, so you can you you played like a bit. Yeah, like at one point I was like a low 90s golfer and like when I worked a real job and like a nine to five and Mm -hmm. lived in a place where I had a car and it made sense. And um, especially when my dad still lived in Ontario, it was something we would do together a lot. Um, But yeah, since I moved to Toronto where I don't have a car and everything is pretty expensive and I just, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it when I was able to do it enough to be semi decent at it. Yeah, I it's tough to lost be an interloper. The, I lost the enjoyment when I scaled back to, you know, two, three times a summer. And now it's like if I get out once in a summer, it's it's pretty unlikely. Wait, so can we play? I just said I don't like doing it. But you said you get out once a summer. I said if I get out once a summer now. Did you get out last summer? No. No, J- I haven't been out since pre-pandemic. J.D. Bunkus refuses to play because this is his thing where, like, if he's not, like, not just half decent, like, if he's... Like, if there's a chance of embarrassment, he won't do it. Like, won't play Mm. hockey. Like, was apparently, like, a a half-decent hockey player, so he claims that also might be part of the story, that, you know, there's no way to verify his hockey records in the Yukon. Well, yeah, they didn't have the internet until recently (laughs) where J.D. grew up, so uh, there's no... No, I I mean, like, I I would be quite bad now. Um, I haven't golfed in a bit. I don't even have clubs anymore. My brother just kind of took them, and we're we're like, hey, they're my clubs now. Um, No, it's been a couple years now, and it's fine. Like, it's... Like it's a hard thing to not at least have a little fun doing because you're outside for a couple hours with your friends and, Plus, and having beer. a couple of beers. Yeah, there's beer. Um, yeah. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's just not what I choose to do with like four or five hours on my weekends and with my disposable income. Okay, of which they're, you know, <laughs> never mind. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I, I don't figure to have a lot of uh, off days. No, you certainly not. Uh, yeah, you'll be one, working one of your, your many, uh, jobs. If it makes you feel better, I, I have also not taken JD up on his invites for, um, disc golf. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Was it you telling me about that? They sell the disc golf stuff at the golf stores. Yeah. Yeah. It was a shock to me being at a golf store the other day and seeing, um, yeah, I guess like golf's competitor being right there in front of uh, all the golfers. Hey, here's a choice. Maybe you can give up the game in which we make our entire empire off of and take up this much cheaper uh, much easier to play. I mean, they sell soccer, accessible game. They sell soccer equipment where you can get hockey equipment. I, I guess that's true, uh, but not at like the hockey store. Oh yeah, I guess those do exist. There's one in. <laughs> yeah. the, there's one at Moose Winooski's in a kid. back where where we're celebrating Jet Greaves' big performance this weekend. All right, nice. All right, when we uh, come back, we've waited too long to to get uh, Jeff Doughton uh, conversation going. We'll crank it up next. Is the Raptors play their third last game of the regular season, first to two back-to-back against the Boston Celtics, who were playing on the back-to-back after losing to a Joel Embiid, who went absolutely ham yesterday for the Sixers. That's what you would call an MVP argument closing statement. Dude, we'll, we'll talk about that as well next. Uh, as the fan drive time continues, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
Fan drive time, Sportsnet 5.9 in the fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. So Raptors above 500 now. What uh, salad days these are for the Toronto Raptors after taking care of the Charlotte Hornets in back-to-back games. Congratulations. Did you like my shot at the Clippers in tweeting about the Raptors record yesterday? Did you see that? I missed that one. I patted myself on the back for it a little bit. So one one more win, and the Raptors will lock in their ninth 500-season or better in the last 10 years. Mm. The only two other teams I can claim that are the Warriors and Clippers, and then I rank them in order of championships during that time. Mm, boy! Yeah. That's nice. Um, maybe we should talk about the Clippers here because I, I, I want to get to that game tonight, which, like, on paper looks like the game of the year. Lakers, Clippers battling to get out of the playing tournament in the Western Conference the Lakers with a huge win yesterday. It, it probably didn't deserve to be uh, all that huge because the Jazz are, are home and cooled out on the outside of the playoff picture yeah. looking in, and the Lakers had, what, like a 10-point lead with, with like a, a minute and a half? to go, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's not ideal, but the Lakers, they they won it, and LeBron with a, a great layup to to seal it in, in overtime. But yeah, it went to overtime yesterday, and now you got... Lakers, Clippers with identical records and the Clippers owning the tiebreak. You know what? I don't know. Would the Lakers own the tiebreaker if they win tonight? Do you know that? It's I don't okay. have it offhand. Yeah, you don't have to have it offhand. But right now, the Clippers are ahead of the Lakers with the same records. So I'm here's assuming the they other, had, what? Here's the other thing is that the teams are so tight five through nine right now that it's almost not worth looking at the 1v1 tiebreakers because it's going to be a, like if the Lakers win this game especially there are we're headed for some three-team tiebreaker scenarios and they get very confusing very quickly well okay so LeBron and AD played yesterday which means their brittle bones need to rest but man this is as important as a regular season game gets when you're talking about three games left in the regular season and what did I say yesterday right like it's it's it is a trade-off to play in this back-to-back and, and it introduces a little bit of a risk but if you avoid the play-in which is what's on the line here you get a couple days rest before the before the postseason starts and yeah there's still two more games to go so even if you win this one you you have to make sure you win at least East, one more the others and maybe play defense on Sunday but if I'm LeBron and AD I think the opportunity to get multiple days of not maybe rest for sure I'm sitting down and I don't have to worry about it rest um, at the end of the regular season instead of potentially having to play two games just for your supper in the first round of the playoffs this is an ESPN game too like not that I guess that matters and like Paul George is out so this is like a, a very and, and Eric Gordon and Marcus Morris are both questionable, so another pair of key rotation pieces for the Clippers. Um, I think this is a winnable game for the Lakers. If I'm them, I, I want to do my business now. So you could and like it was only a couple of weeks ago that the Lakers were even worrying about making the play in. So maybe in their eyes, this is uh, you know it's not as big a deal, but it feels it's like gravy. a big deal to me. I, I would want I would want to be getting those three four extra days of rest for LeBron and Anthony Davis that come with finishing top six. Here's the devil's advocate position, and and you know Warriors are only a half game up uh, for fifth. You don't want to be fifth. Fifth is bad. Fifth, you got KD. Doesn't matter. And that Suns core that hasn't lost so together. With, for most teams, I would agree that you would prefer sixth and maybe even 
Try your luck with a double chance play in to get Memphis or Denver, who Memphis looks really good. Denver, like Mike Malone called out the Nuggets again yesterday. This is the worst any team has ever fumbled. Are they going to be underdogs in like a first round series against LeBron and AD? Probably. They did all the stuff for the first 65 games you're supposed to do so that the last 15 (laughs) games or so are just easy. And they have still managed to just be a messy, messy, messy Mm. down the stretcher. I've lost most of my faith in them, even though I think... Like on paper, they are still the best team in the Western Conference. They just, mm. my faith in them is completely gone. So uh, for most teams, I would agree with you that six or maybe even seven, uh, preferable to five. Uh, I don't feel that way for the Clippers, Lakers, and maybe even the Warriors who could really stand to benefit from that extra pocket of rest that comes with not having to play those extra playing games. And I guess like the narrative of losing in the first round, what's the difference? Like you're in it to win a championship anyways, and you're mm-hmm. going to have to go through KD and that Suns team. And maybe you're catching them like when they haven't totally gelled and figured it out together. Yeah, I, th- I think the Suns are going to be fine. Uh, right. I think they're, they're Again, doing they okay. Haven't, they haven't lost. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and, and, and Kevin Durant when they've all played together. Yeah, they're they're in pretty good shape. But you're right. You're going to have to play them at some point. And we've seen teams... You know, this is actually one of the interesting elements of the play-in tournament that we hadn't really talked about in any of the prior years, I don't think. It's that we've seen teams do the seeding tanking in prior years, right? We saw the Nets do it to face the Raptors in the F Brooklyn year. You did. Um, That is much more difficult now. Mm. If there is a risk of you sliding into a play-in spot. So that's an interesting uh, wrinkle to the play-in that I don't think has come up the last couple of years. You can't, even if you really wanted Mm. to, and like say you didn't care who you faced between one, two, three, you just wanted to avoid four. Now you're talking about extra games laid in there and less rest for your uh, brittle bone, as you put it, LeBron and Anthony (laughs) Davis and D'Angelo Russell's been banged up. Or if you're the Clippers, obviously Kawhi and then uh, Paul George, you know, those extra couple days to potentially get Paul George back. Mm. I don't know you know what that timeline looks like and just how tight it is but that would be a huge swing for them if they can you know get a couple extra they don't have to play games without Paul George mm. um the warriors probably don't care as much they're so confident and Wiggins is on his way back now too um but even if I'm them the the chance to get Steph Draymond and Clay a couple extra games get Wiggins a couple extra practices in yeah. um after his long time away from the team I don't know if I'm all these teams I I really would like to avoid uh the play in tournament if possible and if you're the Pelicans, I don't know, Zion's playing three on three. Maybe buying them those extra couple days helps too. Oh, no. For the Pelicans, I, th- I think they're the team with the most impetus to, to get out of that thing. Because, I mean, although apparently, yeah, like you said, Zion is not only playing three on three, but I saw a report that they want to get him into a regular season game before the postseason, which seems like there very was, bullish. As of yesterday, there was no update on the likelihood of that or him that he has only played at last update three on three. Usually you Mm. see guys do a day or two of three on three, then progress to five on five, then maybe even get a contact one in this tight. Maybe you just, you bring him off the bench for 10, 12 minutes and that's his, his full contact practice. Uh, I don't know. The the window is closing here though, because there are five days left in the NBA season. Yeah. So, and, and we've had some spectacular Western conference games here leading into the, the postseason in the play in tournament with the three games left. And you know what? Warriors thunder was sweet last Mm -hmm. night. I mean, Warriors gave up what, like 79 first half points to to the thunder. And that was a close game until the, the dying minutes of that game. Grizzlies Pelicans should be pretty good tonight too, because we thought the seeding in the West was, was set. But Denver has stumbled enough again that Memphis could technically squeak out the top seed in the Western Conference that are probably still playing for that right now. And that's obviously an absolute must win for uh, the Pelicans as well. Although the Grizzlies are uh, 
sitting a bunch of guys, including probably John Moran. Well, okay, so the regular season matters more, certainly, and that the playing tournament is is it been a huge part of that. But I will say, if if LeBron and AD sit for tonight's game, nationally televised against their not just state rivals, their building rivals, like the the that it's going to have a, a lasting effect for me, like a lasting impact that, yeah, it matters. Like certainly matters that the Lakers got into the play-in tournament. And if they were battling, like if they had to get into the, if they were in the Mavs situation, yeah, obviously AD and LeBron would be playing, but like that you can't get them interested enough and desperate enough to play against the Clippers in their own building with a chance to avoid the play-in tournament tonight. And who knows they're what listed as questionable game time mm-hmm. decision I mean, on ESPN. Like that, that's a little bit of a bridge too far for me, honestly. Well, the ESPN stuff is, uh, it's one of those um, champagne things that you and I can't understand and the Raptors certainly can't understand. Being on ESPN means nothing to the no. Lakers and LeBron. It's actually notable if they're not on ESPN or TNT or ABC right. or something like that night to night. Um, and of course, they obviously get up if the game's on Sportsnet, but mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a whole different thing. Of course. Um, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I do think... Given how much is on the line in each of these games, you do kind of have to give a little bit of benefit of the doubt in terms of they're doing what's best for the player and for the team. Like, I don't think this is load management so much as it is the Lakers are trying to be very, very careful with two guys. And, and I get it. The The thing that the league is going to have to address, though, beyond the 65 games is... Yeah, what do you do to back encourage? Back-to-backs, like, just like, and I know we have fewer back-to-backs than ever before, but, like, our, yeah. Kawhi's obviously never going to play in a back-to-back. No, like, the Celtics his- are sitting a bunch of guys tonight and technically aren't, like, are technically still battling for seeding in the East. They sat a couple guys last night. They sat a couple guys tonight. Um, there's nothing you can really do. Like, I think we might be at the limit of limiting back-to-backs. Like, I don't know, especially Unless because... Unless you extend the regular season by, yeah. like, a month. And in <laughs> especially because people have not been fond of the two-game series in one city that at least lessen the travel yeah. around that and make fewer back-to-backs possible. People haven't seemed to love those. So I don't really know what you do about that. But you're right. Like, if... Making the playoffs or avoiding the play-in is not reason enough to play a back-to-back. Then, uh, honestly, I, I, I get your gripe, but how do you even incentivize it? Yeah, no, you can't. This is it. Like they, this is as again, other than them being in the Mavs position, which yeah, they benefited greatly by that Thunder loss yesterday. They're only half game back, although they don't own the tiebreaker, so they need to to win yeah. that spot outright. Also, Mark Cuban's busy putting his foot in his mouth when uh, I missed that. What did oh he yeah, he's he's saying that uh, he blames Jalen Brunson leaving on uh, Jalen Brunson's dad getting involved in the conversations, which is funny for two reasons. One, because Jalen Brunson said recently that he wanted to sign an extension with the Mavs before he even hit free agency and the Mavs declined and it would have been way cheaper than what he got in free agency. Number two, though, Kyrie Irving's agent is a stepmom. Yeah. So Mark Cuban already laying out the it got messy when family got involved. Well, maybe he's protecting himself that that he doesn't have to well, go out and resign Kyrie. Yes. Well, Kyrie will be very reasonable if he <laughs> if he assumed that that was a a pre negotiation talking point about him. All right. We'll get to Jeff Doughton Jr. just a second. Okay. But I, I do want to <laughs> wrap up. We talked about Jokic and that Nuggets team how they've fallen flat on their face. Honestly, I, I, and I. 
I know that it was said explicitly. Flat, flat on their face, number one seed in they're, the Western Conference. They're losers, but. and they're, I would, you know, you could give me minus 1,000 odds on the Lakers in a first-round series against the Nuggets, and I'm still taking the Lakers because they're going to win that series, and the Nuggets are going out, and they're going to be one of the biggest embarrassments in the history of pro sports. And the only thing that would have been more embarrassing if Jokic had just won a third consecutive MVP, which is not going to happen because just like when Russ won his MVP award on the strength of I think his last triple-double was like a game winner at the end of the season. This is narrative time. We score 52 points on 20 and 25 shooting against the second seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, yeah, Doc Rivers is right. He he won it yesterday. It's also, over. it was – so in Tim Bontemps' uh, latest straw poll at ESPN, which I've mentioned throughout the year that I, I participate in, I, I give my five-person ballot. I'm one of the media members he polls. And in that latest poll, Embiid had pulled ahead of Jokic. Now, by the smallest of margins in the history of the MVP vote – He was a betting favorite, too. He, he is. And – Look, the 76ers are the three seed. Mm-hmm. They have the exact same record as the Nuggets now. Yeah. And a better point differential, yeah. better underlying metrics and things like that. Jokic still has the most bonkers on-off stats and, yeah. and advanced stuff that you could possibly imagine. And he's, doing, and he's doing things offensively. Yeah, because Thomas Bryant is the, you know, is the savior as, yes. a, as a bench center. Um, although Embiid, you know, part of Embiid's on-off story over the years has also been like they just tried out Amir Johnson's and mm-hmm. Greg Monroe's and Boban's uh, mm-hmm. to back them up, and it never works. Uh, Montrez Harrell it, it, this year. So I think a lot of the arguments in favor of Jokic that made it seem like a slam dunk two, three weeks ago, best player, absolute outlier, best player on the best team, absolute outlier statistical season, all the on-off stuff. Uh, once you lose the best player on the best team element of that, it opens up a lot of room for well, let's dig into these numbers a little deeper. Let's dig into how good these teams actually are. Let's dig into, you know, the things Embiid is doing that nobody else can do after a season of talking about the things Jokic is doing that mm-hmm. nobody else can do. Um, I don't normally reveal who landed where on my ballot in the, the Bontemps straw polls because I think they're meant to be um, like bla- black box because yeah. you don't want to reveal because like then people would climb through to be like, well, okay, these 40 people have actual votes, and what do we make of that? I voted for Embiid. I had Jokic on at number one on my first two ballots. I moved to Embiid on the last drop poll, and that was a couple weeks ago before the case got even stronger. Yeah, yesterday was it. He was uh, case closed. He, he, he banged the gavel yesterday. Uh, Jeff Towden Jr., He's not going to play. <laughs> he didn't win. Carly Jones winning G League MVP. The travesty. This is unbelievable. All right. So for the uninitiated, uh, Jeff Doughton Jr. has a, a two-way contract with the Raptors. And if he plays more than 50 NBA games, he has to be converted to an NBA contract, which would mean the Raptors would have to clear up a, a contract spot for him, which means, you know, getting rid of somebody. And like Joe Wieskamp is injured and probably not a, a future back. Hall of Famer. Is he back? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, there is some indication that they promised him something and, you know, that would would look bad on the Raptors to do that. But here's the reality. Jeff Doughton Jr. is, you know, okay, he's not the most significant piece of this Raptors team, but he's might be part of a rotation. He might appear in a play-in tournament game. They're, the Raptors apparently are not going to go with their best roster because they want to do some well, asset management here? We don't know. The reporting today is that Bobby Webster will join the team on the road and they'll make that decision um, sometime tomorrow. Now, the Raptors, uh, and you'll see beat writers saying there's a Thursday 5 p.m. deadline. That's not entirely accurate. It's kind of an internally imposed deadline because there are certain players who, if they're the guy getting waived, have to be waived by tomorrow uh, at 5 p.m. Technically, you could grind that out to the very end. It just limits which players you can waive and which players you can't. Um, so I think they would like to make that decision tomorrow. The argument for Wieskamp has nothing to do with his value now. It's that he has a non-guaranteed 
year on his deal for next year. And from a pure asset, think 40-man roster-wise, right? How teams sometimes make those decisions. Well, if you leave things as is, Doughton is a restricted free agent with an extremely small qualifying offer this offseason. Your chances of retaining him are pretty strong if you want to retain him. Wieskamp already has that deal for next year. Um, And, you know, the other options to waive, well, Will Barton scored 400 points yesterday. He went full Svee mode on Svee. Yeah, Uh, take that Svee. Delano Banton is someone who... Good Canadian kid. I have... Not soured on, but he did not have the the greatest and most consistent of showings with the 905 after he lost his Raptors rotation spot. Still reason to be optimistic about it and see what's there in the summer, but they don't want to move on from that. And then Thad Young is owed money for next year. Uh, it's only $1 million, but it can be a little difficult to cut a vet at this time in, in this spot. Like there are um, relationships and optical and, and agent reasons you maybe want to do that. To me, it comes down to Wieskamp, and it's a decision of, Doughton as an RFA and the, a good chance of keeping him, and you already have Wieskamp on a contract, or you lose Wieskamp, you convert Jeff Doughton Jr., and then you're plucking the next UDFA out of there, an undrafted free agent. Um, to me, it's pretty clear, and it's been clear since before they signed Wieskamp, that it should have been Doughton's spot. Yeah. I have been a Doughton fan going back to Summer League last year, and I think that for as much as Wieskamp's a, a good shooter with some size, um, there's a reason he was available, and, and I don't know that the value of Wieskamp versus undrafted free agent X in Summer League is all that worth it. The bigger answer here, though, is that like you should not be in a position where the guy on a two-way spot has maxed out his days and is relevant to what your play-in rotation looks like. It's kind of an indictment of the other point guards on the on the roster. Yes, it's a nice thing about Jeff Doughton. Yes, it calls into question the Wieskamp and Barton signings, but this isn't a situation we should have, and I say this as the number one G League baby, this is not a situation that we should have had this many articles and segments about. Uh, no, and if you're making a decision based on asset management as opposed to winning a play-in tournament game, that actually comes kind of makes sense but it's counter to what you've been doing like why are you doing that now like how about you should have done that you should have tanked should have tanked for Wemby or or signed you know use that Barton space differently or 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 whatever use the auto porter space differently we can we'll have to relitigate all that stuff at the end of the season as, as we kind of autopsy it um the only thing that you could convince me, and it's not, I'm, I've been very pro Jeff Doughton Jr. all year, <laughs> but if they're looking at what the rotations look like and they actually believe Will Barton can give them minutes closer to last night than closer to his injury, sure. um, maybe there's not a, those 14 minutes Jeff Doughton's been playing, maybe eight or 10 of those are going to Will Barton and the others are being spread among the, the starters because um, technically, mathematically, you can play your starters more. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a tiny bit. Yeah. Jeff Doughton Jr. like is uh, is a famous player in the city of Toronto, and uh, I don't know if he anticipated that. All right, time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Raptors and Celtics uh, tonight, and Celtics are two and a half point favorites despite back to back and some players out of lineup. Uh, Lakers Clippers, as we mentioned, uh, for all the Tostitos. Um, it is the Clippers three and a half point favorites as we await the game time decisions for lebron and anthony davis and uh headed into the masters scotty scheffler rory mcelroy your favorites plus 650 and that was last call brought to you by bet rivers it's a whole new game gary trent back tonight by the way all right gary trent jr back uh, against the uh, boston celtics all right we'll be back tomorrow abbreviated show enjoy the uh, baseball game everybody see ya